today we are continuing on a series of messages from Paul's letter to the Romans. And today in our series is really a turning point in this letter. So up until this point, we have primarily been unpacking the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is good news. The Son of God came to die for our sins so we could be forgiven by our creator and maker and and join him for all eternity in in the kingdom of God. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, Christianity's message of salvation, hear this, is radically different than any other world religion. I need you to hear that. We talked about this last week. Here's every other religion in a nutshell. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's not Christianity. Christianity says I am accepted, and because of that, from a heart of gratitude, I will obey my Lord. Again, the Apostle Paul, the point he is trying to drive home, the point he's trying to get us to understand most fully is that, friends, we are accepted by God. We are saved by our sins, not based off what we do or don't do, but because of what Jesus has done for us and now offers to us as a free gift. Friends, we are saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Amen? So this is what Paul has been addressing in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Romans 12, again, is that turning point in his conversation, and it's divided by one of Paul's favorite words, therefore. He uses that word therefore probably 15, 20 times in the letter to the Romans, but there are four major therefores in the letter of Romans. The ones in Romans 1, Romans 5, Romans 8, and now here in Romans chapter 12. So in the first 11 chapters, Paul tells us this is what the gospel is. The last five chapters, Paul tells us what we should be because of it. Again, separated by a therefore. Considering all that I have just taught you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what you are to be. This is what you are to become. This is how you are to live. And the first thing Paul wants us to understand is that as, as the fully redeemed people of God, it is of utmost importance that we love one another. Paul is going to give us a glimpse in Romans 12 of what true love is. Now, anyone else, when you hear that term, true love, think of the 1980s cult classic movie, Princess Bride? I got a slide for you to look at. You might have this outdated, older-than-dirt-looking priest in your mind, right, in Princess Bride. He's up in front of the church with Princess Buttercup and Prince Humperdinck officiating their wedding, and they say, true love, right? True love is what brings us together today. So when I mention true love, I'm not talking about romantic love, although it could encompass that. The kind of love that Paul wants us to talk about is the love that the gospel creates within community. Listen, Jesus said the single most defining characteristic of the church should be its love. Your love for each other, Jesus says in the gospel of John chapter 13 verse 35, your love for each other is how the world will recognize you as my disciples. You know, I'm convinced that what's going to draw people back into the church post-pandemic is not necessarily going to be dynamic worship or dynamic messages 
or state-of-the-art facilities or even holiday, special holiday services. What's going to draw people back into the church in 21st century America is going to be how we love one another in Christian community. It's going to be how we take care of one another in Christian community. I say it all the time, let me say it again. Christianity is the one another religion. What does that mean? We are a community, friends, forged by and forged through the good news of Jesus. And in part, you know what that means? We're kind of in this thing together, whether you like it or not. We're here to love one another, to encourage and edify one another, to build one another up, to even challenge one another and admonish one another at times, to bear one another's burdens, to live in peace with one another, so on and, and so forth. You know, one of the tragedies I saw as, as we figured out how to navigate through that pandemic for, for a couple of years, one of the tragedies I saw in the church within American landscape was how quickly people canceled their churches over some of the most silliest things, right? I mean, for some reason that, that COVID-19 became a very political issue in America and it became very divisive. And so churches would literally, people within churches would cancel their church over their response to COVID. Like, do we go online worship or do we put, dig our heels in and just stay in person? Or do we wear masks or not wear masks when we gather for worship? Or do we encourage people to get vaccines as church leadership? Or do we encourage them not to get vaccines in church leadership? And because it was such a divisive issue, no matter what way you went, guess what? People within local congregations in America canceled their church. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, is this the best witness the church can give a watching world and how to figure out how to get through trying times together? Look, how fragile, church, is the American faith community that we would be divided one from another over some of the most superfluous issues out there? They will know... Um, Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Friends, when it comes to belonging to the people of God, we are bound together, hear me, by something far greater than biology. We are bound together by something far greater than any one social construct. We are bound together by something greater than preferences, political affiliations, and socioeconomic standing. We are bound together by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Whether we like it or not, let me say it again, we are in this together. We are sent out on mission together to care for the poor, yes, but to love one another in such ways that draw other people from outside this building in to take part in this community. As Christians, we must learn to love one another, Paul says. We must learn to love one another well inside the church before we'll ever be able to learn how to love one another well outside of the church. So what does true love in Christian community look like? Paul's going to give us our answer. Just four verses out of Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Paul says this. Now mind you, again, he's speaking to those of us in the church in, in this specific passage of Scripture. He says, Let love be genuine, Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. 
or the love that a brother or sister has for each other. That's the type of love you must have for one another, Paul says. goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Remember, hope is an absolute certainty in the scriptures. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. And finally, contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to the stranger. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let us pray. Uh, gracious and loving God, I ask in the midst of these next few moments that you would just bless the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts, that they be of profit to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So God uh, has this intention that we, we, you know, is revealed in the scriptures that he wants to use his church, that's you and me, to um, offer the world his presence. Uh, he wants to use his church as a means of revealing his character and also as a way for people to experience the power of the gospel. You know, people all around us, and, and maybe some of us have been caught in this as well, but people all around us are searching for things like peace and hope and joy. And these are all things, friends, that are ultimately rooted in one person, the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, while we are called to proclaim the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus with our lips, we must also recognize that our transformed lives joined together are designed by God to announce to the world this kind of hope that he offers to them. We must speak, friends, the gospel, but more than that, we must also live and relate to one another in the church, in ways that make the power of the gospel visible in a watch, to a watching world. I, I think the greatest tragedy the, uh, for the world to witness really is the church slinging mud at one another, the church dismissing one another, all the while declaring the gospel of peace. It's like, do as I say, not as I do. That doesn't really work here, does it? And so, so in considering what it looks like to live in a hope and peace-filled, justice-minded community, in Romans chapter 12, 9 and 13, Paul offers us several characteristics that should be emulated within the life of, of, a, of a Christian body, of a faith community. And the first thing Paul tells us in, in verse 9 is that our love we have for one another should be without hypocrisy. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but so often what people find in, in faith communities is phony love. And what I mean by that is it looks really um, kind and attractive on the outside, but the more you, you get to know somebody, you get underneath the veneer, what you often see in faith communities is a lot of backbiting, gossiping, and jealousy. Have you ever felt the sting of any of that in, in, in a season of your own life? The passive-aggressive comment, right? Prayer chains that are used more for gossip chains than to lift up concerns to God? Or, or how about the judgment somebody might feel directed towards them and all that person is doing is coming to look for a place to find hope and healing? This type of insensitivity has no place in the church. 
In fact, some of Jesus' harshest rebuke in the Gospels was for people like that. He called them whitewashed tombs, beautifully ornate on the outside, but full of death on the inside. And the closer you get to these whitewashed tombs, you, you can sense the death more than the life. It's like no amount of pleasantries or, or, uh, or politeness can cover the rotten stink that is on the inside. So, so a while back, I had a, a car. It was a Saturn. I liked my little Saturn. My mother-in-law sold it to me after I got in a car wreck when a deer hit me. And uh, the, she kept it in impeccable condition. This car was beautiful, uh, immaculate. It, it still smelled new, even though she had it for probably, what, eight, nine years. And however, one day I got into the car, and there was just this nasty stink in it. I'm like, where in the world is that coming from? This, this car is perfect. Well, I, I go in the house, I get the vacuum, I, I, I get wipes, I get the Lysol can, I'm spraying everything down, I'm making it look even better than it looked, uh, you know, when she gave it to me, and go, only to go back in the car, and it still stunk really bad. So I bought one of those Febreze air fresheners, still couldn't mask the smell that was in this vehicle. What is in this vehicle? You want to know what it turned out to be? Some dirty, nasty water, no ma- who knows what was in it somehow got underneath the floor mats in the back seat. And that's where that putrid smell was coming from. Well, I got it cleaned out, and the car smelled decent again. The point is this. The car looked great, but underneath those floor mats, there was a putrid stink coming out that was nauseating. This is an example of hypocrisy, right? Pretending to be something you aren't, Reminds me of that Seinfeld episode of Jerry's car that smelled like B.O. and he couldn't get it out, right? That's hypocrisy. It's pretending to be something you're not and no amount of Febreze politeness can cover it up. Church, Paul says in Romans 12, our love needs to be different than that. It should be a love all the way down, even underneath the floor mats. Now, he's not saying it's easy, right? Let's be honest, some of us are really hard to love. For some of you, maybe I'm at the top of that list. But Paul says, regardless, you are to love even those in the church that are difficult to love. But how, you might ask, how do I love people in the church that either annoy me, frustrate me, or have hurt me in some manner? Well, that's where the gospel comes in, right? Don't forget, we have a source of power to tap into, friends. That's where the gospel comes in. The gospel enables us to love those that are even difficult to love because we press deeply in to the mercies of God found in that message of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? We're called to go back to that when we don't want to love with hypocrisy. Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says, While we were still sinners... While we were enemies of God, what did God do? He died for us. And that proves his love for us. That proves he'll love us even when we don't deserve to be loved. So so how do you do that when you don't feel like doing that? Like you don't want to be hypocritical, but you want to love. But you know if you love, you're going to be hypocritical. So what do you do? Do you just not love? Do you just ignore people, dismiss people? No, absolutely not. You still choose to act in love. 
You still choose to be kind and, and polite even when you don't feel it. And as you're doing it to deal with the hypocrisy of it, you start repenting in your heart, asking God to forgive your unkind heart and, and ask God to, to take control of you as you, again, lean more deeply into his mercies. And in the midst of it all, you remember this about the gospel. God will not ask you to love somebody any more than he has loved you. God will not ask you to be more patient with the person sitting next to you than he has already been with you. God will not ask you to forgive somebody more deeply than he in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. We are called, church, to love without hypocrisy. The second thing Paul says we are to do is love, our love must be grounded in God's truth. Paul says it in this way, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Friends, love must be grounded in God's truth. Why? Because ultimately if it's grounded in God's truth or if it isn't grounded in God's truth, it isn't love because God is love. Here's why this is important, okay? I think sometimes when we care so deeply for another person and we see them doing something that we don't necessarily approve of or we think is wrong or we think is an untrue way to live, we don't say anything because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We want to keep them happy, right? Have that been you? But that's not a sign of love. That's actually a sign of a lack of love for that person. Here's the best example you have for it. Have you ever seen a parent, and maybe you've been this parent, but have you ever seen a parent refuse to discipline their child even when necessary? It's like those parents can't bear the anger or the tears or making their child upset. So what they do is they give their child what they want. Or they don't follow through with discipline, even though that would be good for the child in the long run. Have you been there? Have you known parents to do that? Uh, best example in my life was uh, I realized this in my own upbringing. Uh, when I was a teenager, my mother uh, gave me a curfew. And I couldn't stand my mother for my curfew. She gave me a curfew, and she would not budge. It was 11 p.m. I had to be home at 11 p.m. And I would bellyache to all my friends about this curfew my mom gave me, and they didn't have curfews, and they could still stay out and have fun and party while I had to go home. And I was just bellyaching one night in particular. I still remembered my one friend. After bellyaching about my curfew, he said to me, and I quote, at least your mom loves you enough to give you a curfew. Mine doesn't. I never looked at that restriction in that way before. But it got me thinking. And here's what it got me thinking. My mother in all her wisdom knew that nothing good happens in the life of a teenager after 11 o'clock at night, right? So what my mom did was give me this curfew so I could be saved from other people, but not only other people, so I could also be saved from myself. The same is true in our relationships in the church, you know, my friend loved me enough as a teenager to give me that, that, that understanding of why I have a curfew. We love each other in enough to tell the truth because love that's not rooted in truth is not love at all. The word that the NRSV a translation translates as hate what is evil in Greek could also be translated as detest. Literally meaning be horrified. What Paul is saying, recognize evil for, for the the, the, the um, corrupting power that it is. Be horrified by it and instead hold fast, or it could be translated as cling, 
literally glue yourself inseparably to it, cling unto good for your dear life. Detest what is evil, cling to what is good. A love that won't warn us about the dangers of evil is ultimately not love. Friends, when we, we, we won't tell people the truth, and we're in a denomination right now that won't tell people the truth, when we won't tell people the truth, what is motivating us to not tell the truth is not love for them. It's a desire to be loved by them. Do you see the difference? Jesus loved us enough to tell us the truth even when he knew that telling us the truth would nail him to the cross. But he did it anyways. And Paul is saying we are to love one another like that. Our love must be grounded in God's truth. And when we see our brother and sister going astray, we tell them the truth because we love them. All right, the third thing Paul wants to tell us in Romans 12 is our love needs to feel like family. Love one another with mutual affection or, or love one another as a brother or as a sister. You know, the love at work within the body of Christ, Paul is saying, should resemble the love we see working in a healthy family. Now, let me qualify that for a moment because some of you didn't grow up in healthy families and maybe you don't find yourself in a healthy family right now. But in a healthy family, I'm going to define it by giving you some illustrations. In a healthy family, if your sibling develops a problem, you don't give up on your sibling, right? Or in a healthy family, if your parent becomes needy in the more mature ages um, of their life because of um, diminishing faculties or failing health, you don't say to your mom and dad, sorry, there's no space for you anymore. What do you do? You make space for them, right? Or if, if your child is acting out in middle school by calling you every name under the sun, you don't kick your kid to the curb and say, enjoy life, right? You stay devoted. And you give them a picture of what sacrificial and unconditional love looks like. Even with faults, Friends, siblings, parents, and children are family. In the family, the problems experienced by one family member become the problems of every other family member. Now that's how the church is supposed to work, right? We love, love in the family of God. It also doesn't mean it has to be reciprocal. And that's a hard lesson, I think, to learn sometimes. Like if you love your kid and your kid doesn't love you back, do you stop loving your kid, parents? No, absolutely not. You don't stop showing them love. You keep loving them through those difficult seasons of their lives. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I love the way he said it. He said, love is never wasted. If we could just end there. I think that's a truth that we need to hear. Love is never wasted, for its value does not rest upon reciprocity. Instead, love is constant, it never changes, and the commitment stays intact regardless of what happens. Here's my question for you. Is this the type of love you would say you have for the body of Christ? Is this the type of love that, that you exude in, in the way you're committed to the body of Christ? Or is it more like joining an intramural soccer team? You enjoy it, you have fun, Right? You, you, you give it some of your energies, but it's only one night a week, and it's pretty low on the priority list. 
Is your involvement in the body of Christ like that? Or, or is it more like, I don't know, a, a free trial of some streaming service? You, you like what you're watching, right? You, you sign up for the two-week trial, and, and you like what you're getting, but, but you keep switching between eight different emails, right? So you can keep getting the two-week free streaming trial instead of signing up and getting financially invested. The reality, friends, is in the church, we can't be an intramural sports team. We can't be a free streaming service. In the church, we're family. We're not an event you attend. We're a family we all belong to where we show up for family meal not because of what's on the menu, but because it's family. Last thing Paul says, our love should express itself in tangible ways. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality. Uh, Paul is saying here that our love shouldn't consist of mere words. No, it is of vital importance, church, that is matched with our actions you know, it is understood by most biblical scholars who study Romans that there is a distinction here between to contributing to the needs of the saints and then extending hospitality. So taking care of the needs of the saints, these biblical scholars will say, is how people take care of people within the church. And then opening our homes in hospitality is how people in the church take care of those outside of the church. Now, the order here is of utmost importance. Paul is saying we are to take care of one, each, one another first. Why? Again, because we're family. Acts chapter 2 gives us an incredible image of, of, of what that looks like lived out. He talks about how there was no needy person among them for everybody shared with one another to, 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 to fulfill the needs within the church. So that's why we have to take care of one another first. We should be committed to bearing one another's burdens. Then our love and commitment towards each other should spill out outward from the, in the communities in which we reside in the form of hospitality with the goal of bringing the outsider in. Does that make sense? Take care of each other first and then look outside the walls of this church you know, I find great delight when I hear testimonials from people who are like persecutors or resistors of the church. And in the early years of, of, of the church's conception, the opening uh, centuries, there was an emperor, emperor, a Roman emperor, Julian, who was probably one of the greatest persecutors of, this, of the church. And yet, even this great persecutor of the church could not deny the love he saw exuded from within the church. Listen to what he says. I think I got it up there. He says, The Christian cause has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers. It is a scandal that there is not a single one who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, i.e. Christians, care not only for their own poor but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render to them. What an offhanded compliment to the church, right? Listen, this is an unbelievable affirmation from a political head, a persecutor of the church. What he is saying, what he is seeing, is that the church offered better welfare than the state. 
The church cared for the poor better than the government. Church, why are we looking to politicians in Washington to fill the needs of people? That's the job of the church. How did the church multiply? Was it dynamic worship? Was it incredible messages? Was it state-of-the-art facilities? No. It was how they loved one another. Friends, our love should be without hypocrisy. It should be grounded in God's truth. It should feel like family. And finally, it should express itself in tangible ways. Isn't this the kind of community our world desperately needs right now? Church, yes, we are called to proclaim the gospel with our lips, but we must also recognize that our transformed lives joined together are designed by God to announce his coming kingdom. We together offer the watching world a microcosm of God's kingdom that will one day reign forever. Praise be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you this day for giving us an example of what true love is when you sent your son Jesus to us to walk alongside of us, to live with us, to serve us, and eventually to even die for us. And Lord, in his resurrection and in the sending of the Holy Spirit, you also created the church. You created a people who would reveal to a watching world your power, your presence, and your peace. Father God, as your church, may we represent you and your kingdom well. May our love truly be without hypocrisy. May it always be grounded in your truth. May it feel like family even. And Lord, may it be lived out in tangible ways that compel the world around us to want to take part in what we got going on. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.